The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we're chatting with Jennifer Willems. Jen is an Ontario-based Agile coach that was featured as a speaker in the Launching New Voices program at the 2020 Business Agility Conference in New York City. She believes that growth mindset was once optional and is now essential, and that it's the key to unlocking the path for achieving agility. Jen, thanks so much for being with me today. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to get to talk uh, with you. Your, your topic for uh, launching new voices was servant leadership as a decision. So mm-hmm. we'll unpack that today and talk about what your launching new voices experience was like. But before we get there, um, just let us know kind of what was your agile origin story? How did you find agile? Or maybe did it find you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it a little bit of both. It did kind of find me. It wasn't quite a straight path. When I finished school, you know, I dabbled in a few different ideas. I did a little bit of project coordination and over time ended up as a banking advisor. Wasn't really into it. And then I came across the book, um, Agile Project Management for Dummies, right? I knew I didn't want to manage the projects, but I really enjoyed this concept of, of Agile. So I read it. I felt like a lot of the principles and values in there were interesting to me and they resonated with me. So I found somebody in my organization. I was working at a bank and uh, I found somebody who was an agile coach and I just reached out and said, hey, can I shadow you? You know, on top of my already on top of my day job. So I did that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And yeah, so that's how I got into the agile community into into this role. And so that shadowing them and then like, how did you really get started? Like, like when was your first real, and I'll use quotation fingers, agile job? Yeah. So there was, uh, there was an opportunity in one of the departments in the bank and they were looking for a scrum master. And since I was already shadowing one of the coaches, you know, they, I was one of the first people that they thought of and, uh, they decided to take a risk and um, bring, bring me on as a scrum master. And it, it was a lot of fun because I came in there and not knowing how the organization already worked, I came in, you know, post-its and markers and colorful, uh, sticky, colorful, uh, you know, pictures and doing all these games with my team. And I didn't realize that this wasn't normal for the bank. It was just normal for me and I just did it right so um I think people really enjoyed the fact that 
I was slightly naive <laughs> um, and, and also very passionate about what I was doing. So I think that's really what helped. Yeah, there's something I think super useful in this story around um, just some of the preconceived notions about that we have about hiring people with experience or that really understand the way we do things and the magic that can be created from that position of naivety, mm -hmm. right? And just like you, the boundless potential and endless opportunity that you had, you're like, anything is possible. I don't know that it's not. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it was one of the mindset shifts that I had to do as well. Um, I didn't come from a technical background also. So coming into um, a technical team as a scrum master, I was a bit nervous and thinking, you know, I'm not maybe going to understand what they're saying. I'm not going to understand the work that they're doing. Um, I, I had very basic understanding of coding. I did a little bit of it, but not too much. So I took that and tried to use it actually as an advantage for me and see, okay, if I don't have all of the knowledge that they have, what what can I bring instead actually, right? Um, so that was some some mindset shift that I had to do. And, it, and it's a constant learning process as well, you know, really paying attention to what the engineers are saying and talking about. And uh, I, I also try to put myself in, in their shoes with different things that I'm doing, you know, trying to see where maybe I'm adding quote unquote tech debt in my own life, you know, bringing in new things without taking, yeah. taking out the old. And um, so that's how I'm starting to build empathy and, and continue to build empathy for them. So, yeah. When this was just listening to you talk, it, it reminds me some of how I got started, which was, um, one of my first agile coaching opportunities was um, it, when I moved into kind of the consulting and coach for hire was in the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. And I was, what, still quite young in my career. And so many of those engineers were like older men that could have been my father. And so what was that like for you, right? Moving into this as a right exuberant young female, like, that thought anything was possible. Did you experience anything weird or awkward? Um, you know, I I think I did only with the older men and actually some older women too who were just outside of my team. But the ones that I was working with directly, I think, you know, they saw it as a bit of fun. Um, they had this quirky young girl who was just trying new things and and bringing some change into the way that they've worked in the past. So they, they thought it was a lot of fun, um, you know, and the other people on my team were saying that they've never experienced anything like that in the bank, right? They said, you know, we feel like we actually have a voice now. And, and so when it came time for me to move on, it was parting that parting ways was a bit sad for, for the both of us, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very happy that I was able to give them that experience and, you know, show them what is possible outside of the norm. Right. Is there any, like reflecting on that time in your life, is there any um, experience or wisdom you would share with like other people that are just kind of getting started in their agile careers that may be in a similar situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say, Keep, keep pushing forward, right? You will experience 
some people who have a potentially closed mindset or aren't always willing to try new things. And it's not only at the beginning of your career that you'll experience that, it's throughout the entirety of your career um, yeah. and in life too, right? So it's very important to start building that muscle of pushing through that and sticking to your guns with what you know is right at the same time as remaining open-minded yourself because yeah. that that is what's going to help you build the empathy for the people that you're working with and learn that the principles are a lot more important than the process and the practice like that that right there jen i think is going to be the feature quote of this episode <laughs> right because that is so true like the why and those underlying beliefs and principles and values I think that's what's so easy to miss for people early in their agile journey. They're just excited about new ways of working, but it's really the new ways of believing yeah, um, that, that are so critical. Yeah. And so I think about right how important support systems are when you're going through kind of a, a job focus change and, and working in new dynamics. Um, what was your support system like and how did that play into sort of the opinions that you have about the role of women in the Agile community as a whole? Mm -hmm. So when I started out, I was uh, mainly supported in an Agile fashion by male coaches. I didn't have access to be mentored by the female coaches. I was assigned the coaches, first of all what I was doing to connect with women outside of that was uh, having mentors, right? So I had a, a, a female mentor who knew about Agile, she knew what my role was, but she wasn't an Agile coach herself. That was a source of support for me because she was, uh, I guess, encouraging me to go forward with what I was doing, right? Um, but. I, I, and this is, this is funny, I haven't had actually any female mentors uh, at all throughout my whole entire Agile journey. And the first time that I did maybe interact more frequently with one was during a training session. And uh, I met uh, Sue Johnson, and she's a trainer here. And yeah. she is just the best. She's quirky. She's you know, very well spoken. And I just really admired her when I first trained with her. She did the facilitation training for me and the agile coach training for me as well. So I was just kind of infatuated by her, her energy and just really wanting more of that. And I think that was part of what drove me to come to the Women in Agile conference as well, is just needing more of that. Yeah, there is something about, um, you know, you listen um, to podcasts with, um, you know, people, um, people of color, they're like, I didn't have role models that looked like me when I was growing up in this. Um, I was specifically thinking about um, the episode with uh, Alicia Keys and Brene Brown um, on Brene Brown's new podcast. And, and her, like, that's the most recent time I've really heard someone say that. And, and there, I experienced something like that as an agilist, right? Getting started as like, I didn't have those female career role models. For me, it was kind of like meeting Lisa Adkins. It was like, oh, like, yes, like, this is a thing. And like, there's someone I can sort of model and aspire to, to be like in, in, in those sort of 
things. So um, that's cool that you found that within Sue. How does that, what does that shift within you about how you show up for others? For me, it, the shift that it it drives me to is shifting towards being stronger, I think, right? Knowing that there aren't many female agile role model role models or mentors and even outside of agile too i think it's a persistent problem is that there aren't many female role models in it and and in tech right so what we're doing at uh, at my organization right now is we have a women in engineering group and i'm a part of it and i'm active (laughs) so you know i'm i'm seeing that this is not just a problem within the agile community it's other people outside are also challenged by this and going to the women in agile conference when i was able to interact with the women there afterwards it blew my mind i didn't even realize that what i was missing right it was you know, such a different experience to interact with people who are like-minded and share similar experiences, right? Um, Because truth be told, women are different than men. We do have different experiences. We have different uh, genetics, biology, and, you know, it doesn't make one or the other better. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to pull last thing to to kind of unpack here before we get onto your, your topic at the, at the conference. And uh, you set up the perfect lobby. You said we are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and strength is a word you used, right? That this is shifting in you something about I want to show strength or I want to be stronger. Um, when you think about the that word and the standard gender differences around it, what is strength for you as a female? Um, and how do you help kind of cultivate that awareness in yourself? and in those you work with? Strength for me is also a bit about humility too. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people connect those two concepts together. So the strength part would be, okay, knowing myself, knowing who I am and what I stand for. And then the humility part of it is that open-mindedness that I talked about a little bit earlier. you know, being able to say, okay, I, I, I was wrong and I learned from it. And now let's go on to bigger and better things because let's just move on from it. Right. And, and seeing things uh, from an objective stance and, and seeing different perspectives and pushing towards seeing those different perspectives is I think what strength is to me. Yeah. And, and, and I do think about all of those different sort of skills associated with that, knowing yourself, being able to look at multiple perspectives, um, practicing humility. Those are all sort of muscles that if you're not working and exercising them, you're not going to be strong Absolutely. in those skills. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the muscle memory. And as a facilitator, we try to build this in our teams too. So it's a bit hard not to do that for yourself as well when you're practicing with so many different uh, techniques and different teams. I try a lot of those techniques on myself before I try them with teams. And Well, I mean, Jen, let's think about the very first line of the manifesto, right? We're uncovering new ways 
I like to say of adding value by doing it ourselves, which is what you're pointing to, and then helping others do it too. Right. So there is a little bit of like, it's, I like to think of it as drinking your own Prosecco because no one wants to eat your own dog food. Like who wants to eat dog food? But there (laughs) is that idea, right? If we're not trying these things out on ourselves, what credibility and strength does that give us when working with others? Absolutely. Yep. And, 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 yeah. And you know, if it doesn't work on me, then I might just try it out on maybe one other person. But if it doesn't work at all, then I won't do it with the teams. Right. Yeah. That's great. And how does that, right. We'll go back to your, to your topic, right. Servant leadership is a decision, Mm -hmm. right. You're making a decision on what techniques to try on yourself and others and teams and that, um, that discernment and that decision-making to me is an ingredient of servant leadership. So, so tell us why this topic, um, you know, what was it about it that sort of put that fire in your belly? And for the people that weren't at the conference this year, um, Mm -hmm. what did they miss out in on that talk? Uh, So a couple of funny slides is what they missed out (laughs) on. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the thing that drove me to that topic is I had come to the realization that I was making some poor decisions as a servant leader. Right. In Lisa Adkins' book, she talks about the um, the pitfalls of or or some of the different roles that coaches can fall into, like the administrator. And mm-hmm. so th- that was one that I had come to the realization that I was falling into. And the decisions that I was making about where I spend my time was actually hindering the team that I was trying to help succeed. So those decisions I had to take a step back and look and say, okay, do I need to make these decisions? And how do I actually start to transition the team to become their own administrators and actually Mm -hmm. uh, self-organize without me? So I, I saw this pattern and when I came and gave my talk, I really wanted to share this idea because I think a lot of people have the perception that servant leadership means that you don't make decisions and that the team, you know, kind of runs over you and you just follow them around because that word servant. So it was, can we start to think of this in a different manner? Because servant leadership is actually quite complicated when you start to dig into it. And it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do and it's not an easy thing to do well. Yeah. And I want to, before you get too much further and um, I'm going to use a vocabulary word that, um, I never pronounce correctly. So I'm just going to own okay. um, my courage for, for you, going for it. So, but I do it. see the mistake you're pointing to is right when oh, I'm a servant leader now, I'm going to rely on the team's self organization. And what ends up happening is people are abdicating their leadership and actually just completely giving it away right. versus the discernment and the decision making about how to show up. Mm-hmm. as a servant leader because that is not something you do in absence yeah absolutely yeah. You, you can't it's if you're doing it in absence then that you're not doing it yes that <laughs> is no leadership not servant yeah. leadership yeah <laughs> absolutely right you it, it's leadership in a different fashion right there's leader there's managerial leadership where you're telling and you're putting things into different slots and you're you're planning out exactly where everything is going to go servant leadership is actually very different it's 
it's for the people, but it's inspired by the things that you're you're doing to help them grow, right? Yeah. So, absolutely. When you think of um, servant leadership, is blank driven? Like, what words might you put in the blank? I think compassion. Compassion driven. Yeah, I think um, it, it definitely requires that that self knowledge and that empathy for the people that you are working with. And not only that, you know, it's compassion and passion. It's I think those those two yeah. together, um, you, you really do need to be driven by the passion to help the people that you're working with and, and really make their success, your success as well. Yeah. What would you say is maybe kind of the, um, I'll call it the hallmark story of servant leadership that you have witnessed in someone else? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, a hallmark story of servant leadership that I've witnessed in someone else, other than my mother, Go for it. I think that's a fantastic thing, right? We happen to be recording this the day after Mother's Day. There you so go. Like, how perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think every I think every mother is is kind of in a way a servant leader, right? It's you are there to help your child right when they need it, whenever they need it, and sometimes they make bad decisions like throwing food off the table and whatnot, but you, you stick by them because you want them to grow and you want them to be successful. And eventually after you share your values with them and you share the principles of life, they go out and they flourish in the world, right? And yeah. you, you're, you're still always there supporting them regardless. Yeah. How do you see that show up in your own leadership? Uh, so how I see that show up in my, my own servant leadership is I, so this is kind of where the, the whole talk really started was there was the decision made that, you know, I wasn't a part of, and it was going to kind of take what I had already worked on. And uh, so one of, one of the teams that I was working with, they were starting to get really mature and then they were doing some restructuring. So I was like, oh no, we were just, we were so close and now we have to kind of start overdue. And it, it was a decision that I wasn't necessarily unhappy about, but I had to stick by it anyways. And I had to support my organization. I had to support my group. I had to support the other agile coaches in, in, that I work with through this change because everybody was going through it as well. Yeah. So I, I had to take something that, you know, was going to not necessarily scrap what I had already done, but it was going to change it. And I was really happy with where it was going. And uh, then I just told myself, I said, okay, no, you have to be able to, to take this change. You have to be able to pivot like this. You, it, it was really eye-opening for me actually. And I think sometimes when we're forced into situations that we are not aware of, or we're not prepared for, that's where a lot of the growth happens. And that's where a lot of the realization comes where you say, or at least this is my experience where I said, okay, it's maybe not necessarily about being agile and only improving, but it's also about being resilient and being able to, to make these changes at the drop of a hat. Yeah. That's really what I, I'm starting to see is like my, my goal with my teams is, can we shift 
one a whole 180, a whole 360 without even knowing it. And I and, think- and especially in in situations that are less than ideal circumstances, mm-hmm. um, unnecessary complexity, and sometimes things we don't agree with. Right. Exactly. Right. How how do we remain resilient and still pivot and shift mm-hmm. um, in order to remain in alignment with our organizations? when we might not agree. That bias towards alignment over agreement, I think is such, it's a nuance that's been really present for me lately in my work. Mm -hmm. And I think given the complexities of the world we're all existing in, Mm -hmm. like that is a very real thing for us to get our our brains and our hearts around. Yeah, absolutely. And just because you understand something as well doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. Uh, and if you don't agree with it, it might actually help to try and understand it a little bit more yeah. so that you can um, adapt to it and you you can not predict the change in the future, but be better prepared for different change and understand where change comes from and what drives change. And that's the thing that is going to help you prepare for those situations where you're kind of knocked off your feet. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's kind of that strength. You're talking yeah. about how can we be strong when you're knocked off your feet? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to potentially ask for a little vulnerability here. Not mm-hmm. all of our guests are necessarily great at sort of um, tooting their own horn or waving their own flag. So I asked you for a hallmark story around servant leadership that you've seen in others. But if you had to say your hallmark story of servant leadership, okay, what's been your kind of most stellar moment? So, okay, I don't have one that comes to mind, that top of <laughs> mind, right, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, I, because it's, for me, it's more of, it's more of a way of living. I would say it's more of just how, how I am rather than one thing that I have done, right? I, mm-hmm. I see myself as a servant leader with all the teams that I've worked with and, it's a process like i don't want to say it's a process it's not a framework it's not anything like that but it's you don't see servant leadership just by in one thing that you do you see servant leadership by the many things that you do and sticking by the team no no matter what right and and persisting through throughout it all so uh yeah i I don't know that might be a (laughs) non-answer yeah well so it, it makes me curious about sort of an adjacent topic that may get out what I'm curious about, because I think that was a a wonderful answer and really important one for people to actually hear that servant leadership is not a thing you do. It is a thing you are and it's how you show up in all your actions. Um, Because the other thing that I'm, I'm making up about the way you talk about this is that you're doing this in terms of leadership from behind or leadership from the side. You don't have positional authority in, in your servant leadership. Right. Exactly. So then um, what was it? What was your kind of maybe epiphany moment when you realized you're coming from a position of servant leadership? And like, what was your journey into your own awareness Mm -hmm. of servant leadership being alive within you? So I, my awareness started to come really when I was looking at improving who I am as well. So it it was 
taking a, a deep dive into myself and it was an introspective process about the work that I'm doing and the value that I'm bringing to the team. So I, I do a lot of introspection and it was just a realization really, um, I think I was actually reading Lisa Adkins book while I was writing some notes in, in the introspection. And it was really just understanding, okay, what is it that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis? And how am I actually leading? Am I leading, really? And I started to see that maybe I wasn't leading and I was just kind of helping out on the side and doing these kinds of things. And that's when I started to see that servant leadership is is really not about, okay, typing up the retrospective notes or booking the meetings or that booking the the team outings it's really not about that it, it's just so much more and once i was doing that introspection and once i was starting to look at my day-to-day -day, that's when i really started to see okay this needs to shift this yeah. this is not something that i think that a servant leader would be doing um that's yeah Cultivating that awareness. Yeah. What were some of those? So you've mentioned kind of the administrative grunt work sort of tasks. Mm -hmm. Were there any other kind of, oh, I feel I'm doing this. That's really not servant leadership. Any other of those examples? Because I think those examples are what are so powerful mm -hmm. for others to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the other examples of that would be really so outside of the administrative part of it too. Another pitfall that I was taking part in was I was really understanding the agile framework and I was under the assumption that my team also did understand it because they went through a training and I was like, okay, so everybody understands this. Let's start experimenting. Let's try this. Let's try over here. And uh, I, I love trying new things. And so I was taking them on this journey of different frameworks and adding this framework and making our own framework. And I realized I was actually doing a disservice to them mm. because they weren't starting at the, you know, the Shuhari. I was uh, way off the mark as to where they were. So it was a, a, about meeting the team where they were. And I know that's a saying that kind of goes around and it's, it's from the Lisa Adkin book that I really first read it. And when I first read it, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what that meant. Meet the teams where they are. It's like, okay, so I'm going to meet them in meeting room 3A. That's <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where a very consensus <laughs> reality. Meet that's, them where they are. Yeah, physically. meet them where they are. Exactly. So that was like my early Scrum Master days. So I was like, meet them where they are. Okay, let's go. <laughs> um, but when I came back and I read it a second time, that's when I started to understand more and more what that meant is, you know, meet them where they are in their journey. Yeah. Meet them where they are in their maturity uh, towards, you know, the, the high performing agile team. Um, so that's really what it means is meet them where their knowledge is, meet them where their yeah. understanding is. Yeah, and there, there's something so important about that, especially related to servant leadership. And I think some of the the mistakes we can make um, mm -hmm. early on in that. Um, and it goes back to what you're talking about, really knowing yourself and being mm -hmm. introspective. Because some of the, the mistakes I made uh, were compromising 
my own values mm-hmm. or feeling out of integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you don't know what your real values and what you want to stand for and what those boundaries are, you can find yourself showing up as a leader that's a cookie cutter of something that's not you. And so yeah. there's you, there's this constant kind of inner war that goes around it. And, and, and it part of that, I think, is really important to be able to meet people where they are because you can't compromise yourself in meeting them. And it, it also goes back to what you said around the values and principles of Agile, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We might meet them where they are with, and I'll use kind of quotes here, right? You know, what superficially may be non-Agile practices because mm-hmm. they're not ready to be practicing, but how can we bring the values and principles of Agile into their current ways of working so mm-hmm. that we take that inside out approach that the way we work is a result of what we believe versus yeah. if we just do this and we don't believe it, you don't always get the the true benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point of when you're taking on values that don't feel resonate with you, then it feels out of integrity. Mm-hmm. The teams feel the same way. Yeah. If you start going, you push push the 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 values and the principles and say, okay, yeah, because we're doing this process, we're we're going to be agile. And it, it's like you said, there's that fine line. That there's that balance that you have to take. Those steps that you have to take. You know, you can't run before you start to walk, and make it familiar to them over time. It's an evolution. It's yeah. not an overnight change. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Jen, as we go to wrap up, you're mm-hmm. already kind of setting us here around this idea of your own growth through servant leadership and what you learned. But I love starting to end the episodes around, right, what you're actually doing for your own professional growth. And what are you kind of geeking out on right now um, in terms of new skills, new perspectives, new reflection? So what I'm really geeking out on right now, I like that word geeking out on, is uh, problem solving and uh, starting to look into the systems thinking concepts and looking more into problems on a large scale that are complex mm-hmm. and seeing the different, I, I, I'm really interested in learning those different frameworks for solving and picking apart those kinds of problems. That, so that's hundred percent what I'm geeking out on right now. Yeah. Any books or articles or resources you're referencing um, on that quest? Absolutely. So there is a book called Bulletproof Problem Solving that is a super concise way and of looking at uh, one framework, at least, of uh, solving complex problems. Cool. And then how does how does that tie into your journey around servant leadership? It. It, it ties into my journey as as a servant leader because it's making me more aware of the different actors and different influences that I may not understand or even see right now. So this is giving me a different way of thinking. And when I'm reading that book, I say, oh, you know, I didn't actually think of this, but that exists. And now it's helping me uncover what is actually happening because we want to be solving the right problem. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely right. We want to be solving the right problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Or else this just kind of work for the sake of work, isn't it? Absolutely. 
yeah. And it's uh, kind of a hamster wheel. You just, yeah. you know, get Why on it and I... just keep going with the inertia. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts on your own professional growth, your story, the idea of servant leadership, the role of women in the Agile community. What do you mm -hmm. want to leave our listeners with today? So take some time, do some introspection and really look at the work that you've done in the past or a situation that you recently experienced and take some time to pick it apart and really try to understand what happened and you'll start to see it from a different light and you'll start to see the things that you actually gained from that experience that you didn't even know that you gained and seeing these patterns is what will start to help you build your own awareness of what you value and what your principles are as well. Um, because even outside of Agile, we have other principles too. You know, I, Agile principles don't talk about family, but it's something that I really value. And I'm sure a lot of people do as well. So it's not only the the Agile principles and that we want to look at, but also just knowing yourself through that regular introspection and um, seeking out the patterns. So, yeah. Beautiful. Jen, thank you so much for, for this time today. I really, I really enjoyed it. There was a, a Zen quality, like backed by this sort of like sunshine and exuberance and like this real, like strong center of energy, but that in this wonderful kind of Zen wrapper for me. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, Leslie. This is great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Very fun conversation. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. You can also go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.